Objects, said philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, should not touch because they are not alive. You use them, put them back in place, you live among them, they are useful, nothing more. But they touch me, it's unbearable. I'm afraid of being in contact with them as though they were living beasts. After using my mum's old Tupperware containers as grief therapy after she passed away a few years ago, I became fascinated at how and why such a simple piece of plastic could hold so much emotion for me. How could these objects touch me so deeply? So I became overtaken with wonder at how my use of objects owned, used and cherished by her could be so powerful and therapeutic. Why do we invest so much in things? How could a basic, empty plastic container, a mere tool, make us so happy? And surely, in a world crowded with waste, disposability, materialism and hyper-consumerism, investing meaning in objects, in stuff, is part of the problem. And Tupperware, I mean, it's just an empty plastic container bound for landfill, right? Or is it a container of fascinating intergenerational stories? Well, I'm on the road to discovering the answers to these questions, plus a whole world of stories about us. Women, men, people, children, community, food, family, friendship, empowerment, and more. So Sartre, it seems, was onto something. Objects just aren't objects. My name is Megan Spencer, and this is Auspicious Plastic, a podcast. I'm just going to start. Is that okay? Yeah. Casey Jenkins is an Australian endurance performance artist, craftivist and a self-professed rabble-rouser. When we meet in Berlin, she's about to have two works included in the London Science Gallery exhibition Blood, Life Uncut, where artists from all over the world explore the theme of blood. Casey's somewhat of a specialist in the area. In 2013, her month-long performance installation, Casting Off My Womb, a long textile piece knitted with wool inserted into her vagina and stained with her own menstrual blood, caused a massive controversy. Her subsequent works have addressed both that and notions around cultural agency over the female body. Casey's at once brave and vulnerable, and I'm really excited to speak with her. What are you doing in Berlin again? Yeah, I can't seem to stay away. Um, something's drawing me back. Um, I'm here to do an art residency, which I'm going to be making some work to present at a show in London in October and so that's sort of uh, the main reason that I'm here but I, I guess I could have gone to many different places but there you know there's the Berlin Melbourne superhighway <laughs> that it's kind of hard to get off from. And in your luggage you brought a very special item with you and it is very precious so would you be kind enough to tell us what you brought over, what it is and where it came from? Sure, it's uh, something that usually takes up half of my freezer in Australia and but I've thawed it out and, and stuck it on the plane. It's the um, knitted length that resulted from my 2013 performance in Darwin, Casting Off My Womb. And yeah, in that performance, I knitted for 28 days with yarn inserted daily in my vagina to mark one full menstrual cycle. And the resulting piece, 
that we have sitting on a chair between us is a 14 metre long length of knitting that uh, partway through has been stained by my menstrual blood. And how many metres do you think or stitches did you knit per day? Have you worked that out? I haven't worked it out, but I I know that it was one skein a day. So I knitted until that was finished. So I knitted the same amount, exact same amount every day. But um, yeah, however many stitches are in one ball of yarn. So what's interesting is this precious object that we're talking about, you've actually made and to now with the previous episodes of auspicious plastic that I've done we've talked about something that someone else made or it's been manufactured but you've actually created this is that partly why it's precious for you yeah it it is because also I rarely create tangible things I think and I've actually avoided having creating tangible things I think because of the fear of loss really this um yeah aversion to not being self-sufficient or to relying on anything or anyone and so that kind of it's a rare thing for me which makes it precious so what are the intangible things you ordinarily create as an artist because I should point out you are an artist a working artist and that's what you do with as much of your time as possible but often we associate art with people actually creating things but you say that you don't so often create tangible things yeah so I work with you know concepts and ideas so I do a lot of writing and performance and yeah things that are ephemeral or might be um seen and then just recounted you know rather than something that you can grab a hold of or something that can be replicated like words and writing you know things that can't be lost so easily or things that were never there so they can't be lost yeah so this isn't something that's mass produced and it has part of you in it not just the act of making it but actually your menstrual blood and other aspects of your body that were present in your vagina when you created it because it's not just blood that comes out of it so is what kind of relationship then therefore do you kind of have with this object yeah, I think that because it can't be replicated, it becomes more precious to me. And there was something, um, because it was such an intimate thing in, and like you say, it was actually a part of me. Um, in the early days, it, was sort of, it got a lot of attention after I first made it, and there were some people kind of offering to buy it or take it, you know, and, and I felt really wary of that you know why um because it felt like a part of me you know because I yeah it's a sort of just that you know I would be more than happy to sort of sell um I don't know a piece of writing or something like that maybe but but it felt I don't know the the attachment was quite strong Mm. what what was that like for you I'm assuming you've reflected on on that attachment yeah it's a bit scary I think because I think that I really did 
when I started out making creative things, it started out with writing. And I know there was quite consciously a decision that because I could do it anywhere at any time, if I had, you know, a pen and paper, I could do it. I didn't need to rely on anything that might break down or anyone else sort Mm -hmm. of being involved in the production of it. I could do it as a really solo insular thing. And then, yeah, I have made some sculptures over time and I remember, you know, spending a couple of months making one and then trying to string it up and the rope broke and it smashed all over the floor and I wailed afterwards. I was I just it was this like involuntary thing that I felt sort of quite embarrassed that I had such you know, people say it's just stuff, you know, but it was that it felt like an immense loss to me. So I think that I generally maybe just want to avoid having that loss so I avoid making stuff. Yeah. It's very interesting. Forgive me if you've been asked this before and it is an obvious question and I feel the need to ask this obvious question. As you were making it, did it feel like you were giving birth to it? The analogy of giving birth is something that that has been made and that I've considered. The idea was about, you know, what I'm going to produce with my body and an expectation of women that they give birth to a child and whether or not that was something that I felt I really wanted to do. Um, And I know at the end of it, I had a feeling that immediately after I finished it I remember having a feeling that I was definitely going to produce in my life give birth create you know all those things and whether it was a child with my body or artwork with my body or something else yeah the sort of making an analogy between creating artwork or creating life or any sort of creation is definitely strongly there it's sort of funny though, just looking at I like it's beautiful. It looks like a giant scarf, right? Like you've yeah. probably heard that a million times. And it's got um, the wooden knitting needle on the top. What gauge is it just out of interest? Oh god, I have no idea. <laughs> this was actually the yeah, I'm I'm not a, a, a good knitter. You're not a good crafter. <laughs> no, I had to do YouTube tute to cast on. <laughs> And, um, yeah, so I, I don't know. That's okay. It's not, it's not a deal breaker. But I guess, you know, we've just talked about whether or not you could read it as um, a product, like a literal product from your womb, which could be, you know, giving birth to something or a child or, or this, indeed this big piece of textile. But it could stand in for anything, couldn't it? It could be a symbol of anything, really, in that creativity is often especially when it's associated with women very limited and confined to specific things like the the power of of creation is quite vast and is that part of some of the is that part of the conversation you wanted to address when you made the artwork or when you made this object yeah definitely I was I was expressing myself I was um, creating ideas I don't know I think that that caused a quite a bit of furor because 
there are things that uh, you're expected to keep quiet about and to, you know, it was that I was doing this in public and to ha get attention that that sort of got up people's noses a bit, yeah. <laughs> The yeah, the the it does still have the knitting needle in there, and so it's um, I could pick up and attach another ball of yarn and keep knitting with it right now. And initially, like it's called casting off my womb, and uh, and it was about you know to cast off is to finish something, and so initially I would have intended to tie it off. But then I wanted to leave it open, I guess, at the end. So it hasn't actually been cast off. So it is this 14 metre long length, you know, but I could. It does sort of have in it the suggestion that it could keep going. That's really interesting, isn't it? The never-ending journey, <laughs> in a sense. Mm. And you've used this in other artworks or you've used this in other installations as well, haven't you? Yeah, I have because the well, the initial work was complete in my mind after 28 days, but then the internet had something else to say about it, and the because the furor was so great, you know, there were like it's seven and a half million times it's been viewed on YouTube and comment streams all over the place. That that was sort of a phenomenon in itself that I really wanted to address, and so I have done in a couple of other works, compiling all of the negative comments that were made on the internet, reading through them as an endurance work for a piece at the Festival of Live Art, and then another piece I did at Venice International Performance Art Week uh, last year, where I had a soundscape of audience-activated comments about um, people perceived to be women of childbearing age that um, were playing and pooling around me as I was knitting and this piece was displayed just as a reference to the original work and then in London it will be displayed again just as a remnant of that performance. So Casey when you look at this object this woolen object that you made out of a big endurance performance piece how do you feel about it and perhaps does it change over time yeah it definitely does change and I think that that is the most powerful thing about this substance that I use which is my menstrual blood this is the thing that that um, draws people's attention to it and the thing about menstrual blood is that if you are a person who bleeds or has bled or or if you're not I assume but definitely if you're a person who is your attitude towards that menstrual blood will be highly charged in really different ways probably over the course of your life and so it's sort of before I did casting off my womb and and that as some years have passed since I made it is very much the case for me so before I did Casting off my womb, it was uh, my period was something of an annoyance, you know, something that I sort of didn't notice. They were erratic all over the place. It was quite a fluke that um, that the performance worked out so aesthetically well in that I bled in the middle of it because I really couldn't predict when I was going to start bleeding at that stage. 
It makes it look like a coffee scroll. <laughs> it does, but blood's in all the right places, not, you know, one extreme end, you know. So it was very, it sort of gives the impression of this rhythm and stability that really wasn't there prior to making it. And I spoke in interviews and in the video that has been on YouTube and gotten all the attention about whether or not I would choose to have a child. Um, so prior to casting off my womb, when I would bleed, it would just be sometimes an annoying thing, you know. And then um, in the years following, I then I... Um, wanted to have a child I made the decision and I started trying to have a child and then I had a miscarriage and blood after that really took on a different meaning it's sort of every every time I bled it was and has been this um, small tragedy I've also had times in my life when I've really not wanted to be pregnant and and to get my period has been immense relief so it can that blood that people maybe who don't bleed react to with just this very simple base disgust people who have experienced bleeding it means something much more nuanced and things at all extremes something can mean a tragedy or a great source of celebration and relief you know it, it's um quite powerful you're listening to auspicious plastic a podcast about precious objects and the stories behind them my guest today is australian artist casey jenkins in a way this is kind of quite sacred or like deeply deeply emotional and deeply meaningful for you because you've been through uh, your own personal trajectory with motherhood, with coming to terms with your own body, uh, coming to terms with the yearning inside to want a child and then for that difficult side of it to not, you know, it's not that easy always and there is an expectation in our culture that women should just do this, you know, that we're like, we can be factory hens or something like this. But so there's something really, this is a very complicated or a complex object, therefore. It's not just something like, I don't know, I started this because um, my mother died and um, I inherited her Tupperware containers and I had very deeply emotional <laughs> experiences around using them. So that connected me. And so, so I guess what I'm trying to say is, in a way, maybe my experience isn't that different to you but this this holds inarticulatable meaning for you in a sense yeah I guess it is that relic thing you know of a fragment of my body at a particular time in my life yeah and there are things I I like about it in in that's you know softness and that it is sort of a you could imagine kind of being wrapped in it and comforted by it and, and I guess it just because it sort of marked also just the experience of creating an artwork that went a bit wild with the the response to it. Yeah. So I guess my my experience was to do with death, <laughs> and yours was to do with 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 life. Yeah. It is. It's sort of though. I don't know about life. It's sort of about the absence of 
of life as well because it's a, it's and now I, I see it as you know and that's a, every time I bleed it is the absence of life and and it will probably change meaning for me over the years again you know because we don't know what's going to happen in the future either do we yeah have you ever had a relationship with an object this profound before I that's the thing though it is an object that I have that is very precious but I don't kind of get it out and look at it and hold it or anything like that and although I would be I think quite distraught if I lost it the experience the performance and the experience of it is still there I'm not sure that it is necessarily evoked just by that object I definitely have had those attachment to things you know precious clothes precious you know knickknacks and and I think that yeah they they scare me so I sort of avoid it you know I avoid it because I want to avoid the loss of it which I don't think is necessarily like a really healthy thing. I don't know, like you sort of think of people being Zen with minimalism and and things and ridding themselves of attachment, but maybe I would like to be able to be attached but not so distraught if those things are lost, you know. So lots of stuff on high rotation maybe, I don't know. I have to ask you this question because... It's called Auspicious Plastic, this podcast series. Have you ever had any kind of relationship to Tupperware? <laughs> like I still do. <laughs> no, I've not. I haven't had a relationship to Tupperware. I, I wish I, sh- I wish I had. I should maybe get into it. <laughs> no, no, no nanas or aunties or, or anyone like that. No, but there were really um, storage was growing up maybe a bit of glad wrap or an old bag yeah <laughs> maybe Tupperware is a bit it is a very civilized thing I think like it kind of speaks of order to me that I don't know that I've had the pleasure of experiencing that's it for another episode of auspicious plastic Huge thanks to my guest or guests for their time and willingness to share their ideas and stories about the things that they love. And massive thanks also to gifted music composer and musician Jeremy Conlon, a.k.a. Cooper Black, for creating the auspicious music theme for this podcast. You can find the full complement of his music online at cooperblack.bandcamp.com. And if you'd like to share your story with me or get in touch, please email me at hello at themeganspencer.com or you can visit my website, themeganspencer.com. And thank you too, auspicious listener. I'm grateful for your time, attention and feedback. My name's Megan Spencer and you've been listening to Auspicious Plastic. It's a podcast made about precious objects, made with love and dedicated to my mother Margaret. Until next time.